Well, good morning. And uh, for those of you who don't know, this is Kelsey Kane, who just gave you the, uh, the announcements, was your hostess this morning. Thanks. And uh, all the people you see around here, including Kelsey, they're volunteers. And we are just uh, wanting those of you who are new at our church to get to know some of us. And by the way, my name is Greg Harris, and I'm the senior pastor. And I'm glad that you guys are, are hanging out with us. And hopefully you're here on Easter, or maybe this is your first time. We are glad that you're here. In fact, good opportunity, because we're going to be beginning a journey through the book of John. I, I mean journey, because I have no idea how long this is going to take. So um, that's, that's code for this is going to be a while, and, and we may be talking... Okay, I'm not even going to say it. Um, But the the opportunity that we have here to dive in and take a look at John, I believe is exciting. And what I I hope to do is give you kind of a setup this morning that begins to give you an idea of how John was originally applied in the first century and how it can challenge us even now today to to be courageous and continue in our faith. And so as we begin, I ask that you join with me in prayer and that we would just allow... um, just God to open our hearts up to what we're going to talk about. So it's going to be a bit, a bit challenging, I believe. So <coughs> we're going to need prayers. So let's do that together. Father, <coughs> excuse me, Lord. I just ask that you'd help one with the cough and just enable me to make it through this, um, this portion of the message today. And Lord, that you'd open our hearts up. So often we come to church and we don't know what to expect. We, we want to be entertained. We want to have all these different things. But God, I pray instead today that we're challenged. And that God, we're challenged by your word and we're challenged by the circumstances of our culture to be lights and to be um, those who can make a difference. And God, that means that we need to start becoming people who are different ourselves. And so please aid us as we work through these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you guys to imagine we've jumped into a time machine and we've warped and it it takes us not only away from here, back in time, but it takes us to roughly a, a place on in the coast of Turkey. Um, in that time period, it was, it was called Asia Minor. It would have been called Turkey. And actually, the location is a place called Ephesus. It would have been a bustling city, a port city in which many different ships would be going in and out. There would be all kinds of people moving throughout the streets who didn't live in Ephesus, but had come to Ephesus because they were seeking some kind of um, uh, fertility rites because of the goddess who was, uh, whose temple was there at the top of the hill. And at the top of this hill at this temple, uh, um, this, this goddess Artemis was known to, to be this multi-breasted goddess who would give power to have children. And so tons of people would worship this goddess and come to this town in order to be there. Many lived in the city. They live in the stoas, which are these apartment-like buildings that lined the streets. And in fact, you would find your way to the, to the various entertainments of the city from, from their amphitheater where they would have all kinds of city meetings, if not watch the um, kind of really kind of raunchy different plays that had been produced in the time period. And in the midst of all the hustle and bustle with the marketplaces and all these people hawking their wares and, and talking about what was going on, there would be these, there was a synagogue in the midst of this place in which the Jewish people would meet. In those Jewish people would be find, found Christians, Jewish Christians who had left Judea to find a new place to live because of the massive problems that had begun to happen in the Roman Empire in AD 81. You can imagine with me in one of these stoas sat an old man, uh, maybe in his 70s, but that's fairly old in this time period, and his skin would have been looked rather awkward as it had been healed multiple times from being boiled in oil. 
Uh, he, he had survived that torture in order to retain his faith in Jesus Christ. Still alive, now teaching multiple disciples in the area. The apostle John, while he doesn't know it, is the last remaining apostle. He doesn't know what happened to all of his brothers who'd gone from all over the world. And sits there, and he's likely speaking the last few lines of this of this message that he's sending to the churches. He began back in Antioch before he moved on as he had heard and seen all of these movements beginning since the early 70s. See, in 70 AD, one of the most traumatic experiences had ever happened to the Jewish people. And in the middle of the rumors and everything else that occurred, you can imagine them kind of sitting back, wondering, no, no, this can't be true. And yet then the rebellion that had occurred as the Jewish people rose up to fight off Rome Titus had, um, Titus had come in and sacked Jerusalem completely and smashed and destroyed the temple. The temple was the centerpiece of Jewish worship. It was the centerpiece of how you had your sacrifices daily. It was how you had atonement with God. It was how you showed your worship to God. Synagogue was a location where you learned some cool things and you heard about the Torah and you learned some stuff about, the book, about their Bible at the time. But it was the temple in which the religion of the faith lived, and that was gone. About 11 years later, in AD 81, as, as John is writing, things had changed. The synagogues had ceased to be just a place to learn about the Bible, but teachers from Judea had come and all, over the, all over the nation, all over the empire, and moved into synagogues to be the head leaders of how you interpreted the Bible without a temple. And they focused in on the law, and they talked about how living the law perfectly and exactly was the way that you were to go about living temple in your own life. Synagogues became temples in and of themselves, and new Jewish traditions were beginning to be born that we know of, and many of them shaped Jewish tradition today, out of this turmoil in this time period. At the same time, you would sit in a room like this, and at the end, they would make a statement of faith. And as a Christian, one of the statements at the very last line was a rejection of your own beliefs. In the midst of this rejection of your own beliefs, suddenly you're hearing other people say they could not abide or believe in the Nazarene. You, standing there believing Jesus is your Messiah, suddenly feel the tension, and eventually it gets worse. Domitian, the new, the new Caesar, has decided he's going to deal with the church, this group of people that's really bugging him because it just keeps spreading, and they say they're from another kingdom, and they don't, he doesn't like this Jesus. And so he sets up a situation in which his bust would sit in the middle of a temple, and you had to come up, and every citizen and non-citizen of Rome had to pinch incense, throw it on the fire, and say, Caesar is Lord and God, and then move on. And, it'd be, and it was huge. In the West, it was no big deal. In the East, it was blasphemy not to see the Caesar as a God. And suddenly Christians were caught because we believe that Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is God, and not the Caesar. The Jewish people had been exempted from this act because of their ancient history, but now the Jewish people in the synagogues had decided the Christians were too much, and they were kicking them out. John is watching this as Jewish men and women are probably coming out of their synagogues going, they won't let us in. They say we're not Jews anymore because we've become Christians. And John is dealing with this persecution on one side. On the other side, he's got Gentile Christians saying, we've, we've, been, called to, we've been called into the temple to proclaim Caesar and, and my friends have been arrested. What are we supposed to do? At the same time, the Jewish teaching of, of law and law alone and this idea of these temple visions and all these things that are going on amongst Jewish people is causing more confusion as they see inroads to tell about Jesus, but it's not allowing them in. 
and suddenly their entire culture is turned over. It must have looked like the worst case scenario for the faith you could have ever imagined. And yet here we are in 2016 in the United States of America. And on Easter, we start hearing reports that in another country, that there were these terrorists who decided to blow up women and children because they were Christians who they claimed blasphemed in Pakistan on Easter evening. And these men, filled with their hatred of Jesus Christ and the church, murder these Pakistani Christians, the minority group in their country. In the meantime, on the other side of the globe, you and I are called the haters because we will stand for what we believe the scriptures state about various behaviors and beliefs. We ask that we would be allowed to have the conscience to worship in how we feel the scriptures teach us to. And the NFL and the NBA and Disney and the corporate giants of America told Georgia the pastors and congregations can't do that because it's hate. And the contradiction in our news and the confusion in our politics, if anybody wants to give me an amen on that one, that's okay. And, and the craziness in our culture and the utter transformation of the values of America are confusing enough to where the first, the first right you and I are given in the Bill of Rights is being systematically dismantled. And we sit as Americans, and, and you know what? We're lost. We're not sure what to do. We're like, well, who do I vote for? And well, where do I turn when all my friends are piling on me? I don't go to the internet anymore to make arguments. I don't do this anymore. I've abandoned that scene. I'm not going there. This is, what do we do? It seems like everybody is pushing in on us. It seems like it's all getting worse. It is. I'm not being an alarmist. It can change. Trust me, it doesn't have to go this way. But the news routinely at this time is it's getting harder for Christians to be Christians in America and to be public about it. And what's interesting to me is the book of John steps right into this. And John, as he's speaking to his scribe, probably came with a smile when he finally wrote his purpose statement about what the book of John's all about. And he says it here in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. In fact, if you would like, you can just put your, your, um, your Bible right there and open it up to John 20. We're gonna, this is all going to be about 30 and 31, <coughs> John's purpose in, in preaching. And I think the smile that comes over his face as he's speaking these words is because he's encapsulated his entire book in these two lines. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. The, the Bible, um, the, the book of John actually divides into two segments where there are seven signs given about why Jesus is Messiah and then the rest of the sign of the, the crucifixion and resurrection. And so he says, look, these signs have been written for a reason. There are a lot more I could have pointed out, but these are the ones that I've written. Why? So that you may believe, trust is the word there, have, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And John right there summarizes all that we need to know about the book of John. That John is calling for people to trust that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that if you trust in him, you can have real life. And he wrote it for that purpose to a Jewish congregation 
so that they would hear about it. Let's start with the first point. He says, I've written this so you may know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Messiah. Why did I use Messiah? Messiah is the Old, um, Old Testament terminology for the word Christ. We lift the word Christos out of Greek and just go, we call him Christ. And I, I don't get why we do that all the time because the best translation into English is the anointed king. Jesus is the anointed king. Now, last time I checked, we as Americans, we don't have kings, Right? We don't like kings. If there's a king, I'm king of my castle. Nobody else. You know, that's kind of the American attitude. We elect our leaders, but in king world, the king is somebody who inherits the crown. He's the one who receives the crown originally, and this is before parliament and the Magna Carta and all that stuff. The king was born the ruler. He is the government. He is the judiciary. He is the executive branch. He is the legislative branch. He is all the branches. And the king dictates and says exactly what he desires. And that's why you hope for a good king. Because what he says is law. And what's going on in this context, though, is that he's very clearly saying, look, we've been hoping and waiting for the Jewish king. We've been hoping and waiting for the one who is the capital crown of the Jewish community. And that all these people have been kicked out of their community. They've been told, you are not Jewish, you're gone. And yet John says, that's not true. See, if you follow the king of the Jews, you belong in the kingdom of the Jews. You belong in God's kingdom. You are following Christ. And what he does right there, he does something fascinating. He finally says, yes, there are Jewish people, but you have not left being the people of God. Do you understand, Olive Branch? Do you understand that the church are the people of God? God had the people of God. They were the Jewish people, but when they rejected their king, they ceased to be following their king. They ceased to follow the leader of their community, and the people of God has become the church. Now, is there a place for the nation of Israel? Yes, depending on what end time scheme or ideas that you hold to, there is always a place for the nation of Israel to be used in the end times, but we are not the nation of Israel. We are the people of God. You're God's children. You're God's family. You call him our father, correct? And that means that, guys, this community that we are under the Messiah is huge. It's bigger than the Jewish people. In fact, it's exactly what, he, what Jesus is saying. Notice in John 3.16, he says for, he's speaking to a Jewish leader, and he says to him, for God so loved who? Say it. The world. Not the Jewish people. You're talking to a Jewish leader, you'd expect Jesus, the Messiah, to turn and say, for God so loved the Jews that he gave his only son, that whatever Jew believed in him will not perish, but have it. That's not what he said. He expanded it. The Jewish people are included. They're not excluded. This isn't racism. This is, this is about, this isn't anti-Semitism. This is about the fact that God expanded the kingdom to include the world. That means South Americans and North American Indians. That meant the Chinese. That meant all of the, all the Aborigines down in Australia. That meant the globe. His kingdom is not limited to a small ethnic group of people. It was expanded by Jesus. So the kingdom of God, and which is ruled by the Jew, named Jesus, would rule the world. And that's the beautiful thing about this. In John chapter 12, verse 24 through 30, he gets into the even further discussion. He, what triggers this discussion is an interesting scenario. 
two Gentiles approach one of the disciples, and they say, hey, can we speak to Jesus? And, and this, this, the disciple's like, I, I, I don't know. Can you speak to Jesus? So he goes and finds his brother and goes, hey, can they talk to Jesus? I don't know. Can they talk to Jesus? And they're all confused. So finally, they come up to Jesus and say, we got these Gentile guys out here who want to talk to you. They're Egyptians. They're not Christians. They want to, they want to. And Jesus says this. This is his reply. Can they see you? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but this, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. This is triggered by two Gentiles coming up saying, can we meet with Jesus? And Jesus says, the nations are coming. The hour has come. And God says, yes, it has. It's pretty intense. You're like, where's the answer? The answer is the event itself. That what finally triggers in all the book of John of Jesus moving towards the cross is that the Gentiles are going to now be included in the conversation. Jesus was expanding the conversation. He was growing it out so that in 112 at the beginning, he hints at it that all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, part of the family. This isn't about an ethnic group. This is a beautiful reality of all who would trust in Jesus Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection, would be given the chance to be part of the community. Now I want to talk about this community for a second. See, guys, this community I know is global. I just got back from Thailand with my wife. Awesome trip. And when we were walking through Thailand, one of the things we got to do with Scott and Casey is we got to meet their pastor there. They're meeting with a con, they, they go to a Thai church there. And Pastor Pai, I love that name. In fact, they call him Pea Pie. And I'm like, that's so funny. Pea Pie, you know. So Pea Pie is this awesome guy, energetic. He's in his 30s. He knows the gospel. He knows about an ounce of theology and everything else's passion for Jesus' name and trust that he's going to do great things. The guy has a vision that the entire nation of Thailand will be reached in the next 10 to 20 years, and he's going to do everything he can. He meets with as many government officials as he can, every sports player he can, and all he does is preach the gospel because all he wants is to start a bunch of sprouts. That's the name of his church, Sprout Church. The beautiful thing about this guy is that he puts his money where his mouth is. You shake the hand of an ex-Buddhist monk who he's brought to Christ, a bunch of students who he's brought to Christ, and you're just like, this guy is on fire. And the beautiful thing is while sitting there with his wife and his, his kiddo and him and sitting with Scott and Casey, and all, all I know is, so what the crap? That's all I know. You know, that's high. That's what, that's, I did not say, so what the crap? That's, so what the crap? That's how you say hi, okay? I know it sounds the same. Excuse me. But the reality is that we're saying that's all we know, and yet there's a kindred spirit burning together. He's my brother. He loves Jesus. He has the same Savior. Sat in a church where the writing isn't even Roman script. It is literally uh, Sanskrit written across 
and they're singing in a language I don't know, and my soul is worshiping with theirs because when the message is translated, it's the same gospel, guys, the same gospel saving Buddhist monks, the same gospel saving students in Thailand, is the same gospel that's saving Muslims across the world, that is reaching the people, the, the tribes in Indonesia, that is reaching the aborigines in Australia, that is continuing to change the North America, that is going crazy in, in Mexico and South America and Africa. My friends, we have nothing to fear for this kingdom that he has created. This community is greater than the United States. It is greater than any geopolitical nation. It is the kingdom that has lasted over all the nations. Jesus is king and Messiah. Kick him out of the community, John says. You can't. So huddle together and be a community is his point. In fact, Jesus will go on and say, I gave you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. They'll know that you belong together by the way that you love each other. Now, time out. Let's not use this horrible terminology that we've started using for love, that it's some kind of feeling or sexual urge for somebody else. Garbage. Love is self-sacrifice for the other individual at the cost of yourself. That, guys, that's self-sacrifice. It, that's love. It has an action. It's associated. Sure, it has feelings. In a marital bond, yes, it has sexual drive. But love is self-sacrifice and is driven in the church, displayed by Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that that's what he's given to us. He's given us this awesome opportunity to love one another. And that's what shows we're part of the community. Now, I'm going to harp on something real quick. And it's more of a warning as a friend and a bit of a poke as a pastor. It's my job. I get to do this. There's a trend in the United States right now. That trend is that the average churchgoer goes one to two times a month to church. That's it. A lot of people woke up this morning and went, man, went to Easter last week. Check, good for the month. <sighs> and the reality is, imagine that you placed that much time into your family a month. Suddenly you're like, when do kids get bigger? Hey, what's wrong with their grades? Hey, I didn't know we changed this in the house. Who's that guy? That's your uncle. I haven't seen that guy in years. You've only been to one in every 12 gatherings, every 52 gatherings that we, I mean, can you imagine how invested you can be? Not to mention God gave you a gift to use to self-sacrificially serve each other. These guys use their gifts. You know what they're thinking about? They're thinking about God and thinking about you. When they're up here and they're talking in the morning, they're not sitting around talking about, dude, you sound hot on those drums. Babe, your pops are amazing. That's not what they're saying. They're going, I hope the congregation worships, and I hope we're able to bless them. When these guys are serving around the sides, they're there so that they can be sure that you are able to self-sacrifice in the giving, self-sacrifice in our ministry. But some of us, we don't even serve. You're not even using your gift. Jesus could show up, and you'd be like, I buried it over there because I was afraid. By this, all people will know you are one of my disciples if you have love for one another. Imagine this young Jewish man who's been kicked out of his synagogue and this Gentile guy over here who's got a place to stay 
and a community to offer. His job out of love was to sacrifice his own reputation in order to bring his brother in. That's what he's saying. Guys, we have got to be concerned with where we're at. In fact, nominal church attendance is associated with bad marriages and a whole bunch of other junk in your life. They just, big old study. I've been doing a lot of weird research on this because it's bugging me. And I want to tell you guys, I get it. I get it. Man, we get up in the morning. It's Sunday. You've had a big night the night before. Had a hard work week. The kids did all these sports things. Maybe your kids got a sport thing. Right now you're going to preach faster, sir. You know. I get it. And you're in the bed and your back hurts and you're tired and your eyeballs won't open. It's like, hey, you know how many times I've wanted to call and say, hey, just run that video for me, okay? I'm going to (laughs) sleep. Like, you're paid. No, no, no. Yeah, I get it. Use the paycheck. I do this without a paycheck. I love this job. It's calling. But you're called, too, to your own church. You're called, too, to the kingdom of God. You're called, too, to the community that surrounds you. You cannot receive the kingdom and the community of God by watching it on the internet. Podcasts is going to give you some information, but it's not directed to you. It's not your community. Where do you find the people who are going to pray with you? I get into my small group. I got friends who will do that. Great. Who's the leadership over you then? Because that's also part of the community that God has given through his spirit. My friends, God has intentionally pulled us together and organized us together because he knows we need each other. And we need all the gifts together. And we need to serve one another together. In fact, what's very interesting in John 15, and I want to read this one. I'll read it because it's actually in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. We'll just pass by this verse for a second. Here we go. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Would, any, would all of us agree that the trends are focused on a world that's disliking the church in America? Come on. Where we stand, the things we stand for, they're being consistently denigrated. Do we realize the verses prior to this are these? This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is known than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for you have heard from my father that I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit. This is community conversation. Love one another. You guys, this is all plurals. You guys, go and bear fruit. I've chosen you to be together. This is my community. If the world hates you, they hated me first. In other words, this community that's been kicked out, the world hates you. Gather together. Be closer as a community. As our culture continues to push on us, we cease to meet. That's the reaction Americans are having. I would hope that the church in the United States, not just Olive Branch, but all everywhere, that as the pressure increases, we're together more. We're encouraging each other more. We're having these conversations in the, in the courtyard more. 
We're talking politics in the courtyard more. We're talking struggles at work more. We're talking how my kids are doing more. We're praying over each other more. That there's lines of people waiting to be prayed for and to pray with each other. Because, guys, we need each other. And we were saved into the Messiah's kingdom and community. We need to live that together. And maybe you guys have minimized the community in your own heart. Somebody in here has, or God's convicting you of this, and ask you to turn back from it, to repent, to make it valuable as first again in our hearts, because we need each other. Because he said, I hope that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God. I'm not trying to drill these things on you guys just out of a guilt trip. What I'm trying to do is call us back to biblical thinking. You see, Jesus is God. You had to come up and pinch incense and say, Caesar is Lord and God. No, 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 no. John counters this. He says, no, Jesus is clearly God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Muhammad didn't see God. Buddha did not see God. In fact, he would say he didn't. So would Muhammad. Joseph Smith did not see God. No one has ever seen God. The only, begotten, the only God who is at the Father's side, which means who has table fellowship with him, knew him intimately, spoke with him intimately, enjoyed him intimately. He's made him known. He's the one who has made him known. He's explained him to the world. If you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. He's the one who explains him. He's the one who shows him off. And that's what he's getting to. He's saying, this is God. This is the creator, the one who's made you. He is the one who's given by God. Look at this in John 3, 16. Hey, nobody's descended into heaven. Nobody's seen God. Nobody's descended into heaven, except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And Moses lifted the serpent of the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up. Then whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world that he gave his only son. So here is this son who's been given, who is God. Radically different concept than any other religion in the world. God loved us that he gave his own son so that we would have a sacrifice for our sins that we could be forgiven. In fact, Thomas goes on, he'll proclaim him, my Lord and my God. And the point that I'm making in this is that you can't dodge the fact that Jesus is God. He's been given as him who has authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Don't marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So much power Jesus has, they'll come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the reality that God is going to make a significant transformation of our lives just by his voice. Now, what does that mean to us? Not only has he created us, he's going to recreate us. He's God. But you know what the world wants to make you fear? They want to make you fear government, ecological dangers. They want to make you fear that your children are going to be raped and murdered on your own street because they want you to seek an answer apart from God. This isn't the government. This isn't the world scheme. This is the devil's scheme to lie to us, guys, to get us to live in fear. And you know what? Let's face it. Some of us are living in fear, Amen. You're watching politics and it's making you scared. You're looking at the global community and you see ISIS and it's making you scared. You're looking at your life and your situation and you're looking at your book and you're looking at your money and you're doing your taxes and you're scared. 
because we forgot God is Lord of all and he's your father. That he loves you. That he gave you his son. That we might believe he is the son of God. That Jesus is in charge of his community as God and that there is no fear when God is for you. I want to challenge you to not fear any longer, church. To not be afraid of the comments and the persecution and the things the world can do to us, but to know that God is God. And in the end, his voice raises you and he will handle the judgment and we have an opportunity to stand firm in our faith and not in fear. That's what he was telling the nation. Don't fear Caesar. What can he do to you? Jesus will raise you because he's the giver of life in his name. We're not just talking about any life. We're talking about eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. What kind of life? And we'll get into this in a couple of weeks. The God kind of life, eternal life. And I don't have time to unpack that, but through his spirit, he gives us life. I'm gonna go forward here for a second in this idea that in him was life. And the life was the light of men. I want to stop right here. We're going to talk about this in two weeks. But right here in this focus is this. Do we realize that Americans, we want life, don't we? I mean, stop and think about it. We as Americans, we don't deal with life in the way that the Thai people live life, okay? Or the way the Indonesians live life. Or third world, other third world countries where they're like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to get clean water? How am I going to fight malaria? Am I going to be able to have a hut, you know, that's going to stand after the monsoon? That's called a real problem. We have what, you know, it's a tongue-in-cheek called first world problems. And the line at the DMV stinks. Oh, man, I got a flat tire. At least you got tires. Right? I mean, these are the kind of things that we all complain about. Here's the funny thing. Ours go even further. Man, there's no good movie times. Shoot, the preacher's going too long. I'm going to miss my football team. Ouch, don't do that, Greg, that hurts. What do you mean the Dodgers traded that guy? You know, that's the kind of stuff we bend our lives on. And the reality is, when it comes to the end of your life, nobody's going to talk about that at your funeral. It has nothing to do with life. But what we want is life. We have all the life parts settled, and so we go seeking for meaning in life. We go seeking for purpose in life. And the first thing that you're going to find when you seek meaning and purpose in the American culture is called pleasure. We've increased our technology to increase your pleasure. Every home has a pleasure room. We call it a family room, but it's really the pleasure room where the video games are played and the movies are done and, that, and everything's streamed and the computer is there. And, and heck, you got your books and your magazines. I mean, it's the pleasure room. And the reality is we as Americans, we want our pleasures, which is why we don't go to church. We want our pleasures which is why we fear when those things can be taken away. We want our pleasures because we think in our pleasures, there is life. Let's take a step back. One second. Is there life in our pleasures? Really? Now there's enjoyment in our pleasures. I'm not saying that. I enjoy our pleasures and I'm not knocking pleasure. But is there life in them? Oh, maybe the feeling of life comes when you've had your hit of marijuana and you're done. Maybe the feeling of life happens when you jump out of a plane and the adrenaline rush hits you and you're like, ah! Maybe you feel a pleasure when you're watching people sail around on a boat and nearly get killed by a giant white whale or whatever, you know. Maybe there's a feeling of pleasure when you're fighting off somebody else on a video game, but when that's over, 
You know what inevitably comes? It's called the doldrums. It's called a sense of dullness. A sense of why am I doing this? Even regret. Ever said, I wish I had that hour back of my life after watching, or maybe your entire season of Lost, whatever it was for you. (laughs) You ever sat there and thought that was fun, but worthless? You see why people are joining ISIS and why guys are growing their beards out? It's because we're looking for a reason to live. We're looking for a way to express ourselves and to be after a meaning greater than ourselves. And the bottom line is, we don't know how to find it anymore. And yet, in him was life, and the life was light. You want enlightenment? You want awareness? You want the best education? You find Christ who gives you life. In fact, what it says is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the way of life. He is the truth about life. In fact, he's living. You want to live. Don't go running off and pick up all your self-help books. I get it. You don't need self-help books anymore. You got Pinterest. Pinterest will DIY you like crazy, right? We get DIY cooking schools. We got DIY homeschools. We got DIY all. Everything's DIY. We're trying to do DIY church and we're finding out it doesn't work. But we want DIY because we want to live. I want to live. Guys, there is no DIY spirituality. You're given life in here. All of that will teach you how to attach things to your life, but you got to have a life to attach it to. The principles of the scripture and the way of the life of Jesus gives it meaning, purpose, and direction so that when you're done at the James Project, when you're finished aiding that friend by giving them a meal, when you finally come to that place and you preach the gospel to your neighbor, you don't go, I wish I had those 10 minutes. I wish we had those four hours back. You'll never say it. Because your life will have had meaning. And with meaning comes purpose. With purpose comes passion. That's why we live. You're not going to find it on Facebook, Instagram, Google, Yahoo. Well, you don't find the Bible those places, but you got to go there. And the reality is, he says, these are the way. That Jesus following him and knowing him is the way, the truth, and life. Sure, the Pharisees can give you rules and laws. Sure, the mystics can tell you about visions of heaven. Nobody's ever seen God except God who has come to show us life. A lot was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so I hope that we will answer in the same way. Maybe we've started replacing life with pleasure. Life with another thing. Life with getting what we want. Life with some other monetary substance or money itself. Let let us return. After all the disciples are abandoning Jesus, Simon, he turns to the disciples and Simon Peter answers his question of why don't you guys go? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you've come to know and that you are the Holy One of God. Guys, you have at your hands life. You are the people of God in a community that we don't need to abandon. You have a God who is over you and loves you. You have no reason to fear. And you have the way of life at your fingertips that is not given to us but to give to the world. You should leave here confident that regardless of what happens to the U.S., 
regardless of what happens to Cambodia, whether regardless of what happens to China, regardless of what happens in this world, God's kingdom will stand. His people will rise again. And his truth will last forever. I think that's a better bank to put your money in, investment in, of life. And maybe it's time for some of us who have been giving too much weight to the other things of this world to turn back. I'm going to give you a few minutes here while the band's going to play. And, and as a church, I'm really calling us as we begin, John, to get our hearts right. To first, maybe we've been minimizing the community and it's time to repent. Maybe it's we've been letting fear rule in our lives and it's time to release it and repent. Or maybe, maybe we've been just putting other things as the way to live and not his word and not his way. And it's time to turn back. As they play, I'm going to ask that God would convict our hearts and give us a time where we can, we can confess that together and move forward. Would you bow your heads with me? God, would you open our hearts up? None of the, none, nobody in this room really is free of these things. I mean, not even I can pinpoint my heart where fear has grabbed it or where I've allowed other things to invade the word of God. But God, some of us need to be deeply convicted about these things. That we, have, we have abandoned the path from you, not, not lost our salvation, but God, we, we just haven't been living our faith. We've been minimizing your community. We've been in fear so bad and, and we've been, or we've just been living in a way trying to find life in other places. God, would you convict us so we can turn back? We ask this in Jesus' name.